0: I think most of us will remember that Tuesday morning, what we were doing. I remember I was driving on some errands that I had to run that morning. I had a busy morning planned. And my, my cell phone rang, and I saw the name on the phone, and, and I was all prepared to tell the guy on the other end that I couldn't play golf that day because I was too busy. My friend was a new Springer. He was an executive with a company, a corporation at a high level, and he had a membership at Flint Hills. And from time to time he would just call me and say hey you want to go play flint hills that's the only way i ever got close to flint hills national but uh, that morning i was just too busy and i was going to tell david i'm sorry i just don't have time to play but david wasn't asking me to play golf that morning he just said are you watching television and i said no i'm not watching television i'm driving in my car and he said well you need to get behind a television set he said the world trade center is lit like a candle and that began my time behind the screen of a television, watching it, as I'm sure it was for you. We, we just sat there, didn't we? And watched, almost with a helpless feeling, as our nation was brought to its knees. I still remember sitting there in shock and awe and silence as one by one I watched the towers just come down. I'm sure you have your memories as I have mine Of all the things that happened around 9-11, the memory that I have that is the strongest, I can't recall if it was the next day or the day after, but I just remember I was driving in my car listening to the radio. Usually I listen to satellite radio, but that particular night I just had a local broadcast on because it was carrying a press conference from the President of the United States talking about what had happened to us. He was being asked various questions, and I was listening to his answers, of course, with great interest because we didn't know what was going to happen. I think he was asked a particular question. I don't remember exactly. I just remember that he was talking, and suddenly his voice trailed off, and there was silence in the room. And then suddenly there was the sound of scores of camera exposures, camera shutters, uh, executing their action. And even though I couldn't see because I was listening on radio, I knew what was happening. The president of the United States on international television was crying. Someday in your life, what happened to the United States on 9-11 is going to happen just as our country was brought to its knees, you will have a similar implosion in your life. There are three groups of people here. One group of people here is that you've already had that happen in your life, and you know what it's about, and everything I'm going to talk about today, you're going to have some measure of context for. Second group of people would be those who are going through it right now and it was everything you could do to drag yourself to church today because your life is falling apart at the seams. Or it could be that you've not experienced it, and you're not experiencing it now, but 100% of us will experience it at some point. Odd how days like 9-11 start with almost an exaggerated sense of normalcy that morning when I got up, I didn't feel like something awful was going to happen. I, As I think back on it, it was very similar to the feeling that I had as a seven-year-old. When my parents dropped me off on a November day in Dallas in, in 1963, I, I remember having no idea of what was about to happen. And it could be that when your life falls apart, it'll happen on a day like that. It, it is a normal day, and everything's normal and suddenly nothing's normal or or it could be that you could see it coming from a long way off at some at some point in your life everything is going to fall apart and my question for today's talk in intensive care is who are you going to call when your life falls apart you know in an emergency you don't call the caterer you don't call the hairdresser you call 911 And you call in desperation, hoping that somebody on the other end can help you. Well, in an emergency of life, who do you call? Who do you talk to? In 33 years of pastoring, this is the most personal talk I've ever delivered. I told the 5 o'clock audience last night, I would like to just deliver the talk one time and have it on video for the next three services. Because I'm not comfortable giving the talk that I'm about to give to you because I'm going to talk to you about the time when everything fell apart on me last year was a challenging year I've had the joy of leading New Spring now for for over 26 years and in 2004 we went through a serious transition where we, we, we decided we weren't going to be a church that just had a fortress mentality of we're the insiders we determined we were going to be a church that that built bridges to people who were spiritually unresolved where we were going to be the kind of church that if you walked in you weren't even sure what you believed that you felt comfortable and you had a seat at the table you knew we were going to make a strong case for what we believe but at the same time you knew you were going to be loved and welcome it would not be a church of insiders (laughs) talk about hitting the fan oh it did For three years, it was as difficult as, I I can't tell you how difficult it was. But I'll tell you that when all of that was over, and and I'm not trying to make this personal, it's just that it seemed like everything we touched worked. On a personal level, it's like everything I touched worked. The growth trajectory of New Spring Church, if you think about it from a percentage standpoint, is unparalleled pretty much even in the United States. Here in Wichita, of all places. And it was as if everything I touched worked. And last year, we had a similar year of growth. And But also, too, I found myself... And could I just stop and say something for a moment? Because a lot of you are executives, and a lot of you have high-pressure lifestyles. Could, could I just make a point? You know, when we're going through difficult times, we're aware of stress. I think in, in the success that New Spring experienced wasn't my success. It was God. But He was allowing me to be a part of it. could I just tell you something? Be cautious about going through very good, successful times because there's a certain stress associated with that that we can't necessarily calibrate because we're having too much fun. And I think years of all kinds of stress have built up on me. And and, uh, we were staffing. So I would do my normal work day, get home, eight or nine o'clock, and start looking at resumes till one or two in the morning. And quietly, but unnoticed by me, I was getting more and more stressed out and more and more exhausted. It was an October day, I don't remember which day it was, but I was speaking for some organization here locally. I got through with my talk, and I went to sit down, and all of a sudden, I started having physical symptoms I'd never had before. And a couple of weeks ago, I turned 55, but I still think I'm 25 don't tell me any different I I just have been very blessed in life not to have physical problems and and, and I usually feel great but all of a sudden I didn't feel great and I knew these were serious symptoms of a serious problem at least I thought so and I thought it would go away but they grew progressively worse and, and I'm suddenly now dealing with physical issues like I've never dealt with before I'm exhausted I'm tired I'm sick And as I got worse, and part of it's because I deal with anxiety and ADD, part of it's just because I'm a man, I guess. Um, you know, if I've got a problem, I can extrapolate the symptoms until they become very serious. I don't know anything about medicine. A lot of you are physicians and health care. I don't know anything about medicines, But 33 years of hospital visitation made me know enough just to be dangerous. And as i got worse i began to think about wow what if it's my time to cross over and now after dealing with these things for a couple of months i'm not sleeping i'm not eating well i'm just i'm exhausted i'm getting worse all the time and 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 so i began to wonder well maybe this is maybe my time has come and 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 i wasn't i wasn't too rocked by that because i thought well you know that happens to people and nobody lives forever and i I believe in christ and and i'm going to heaven when i die but that really wasn't the issue that, that like pulled me down into the, to the depths. If you were here for the first weekend of, of DNA, you know that while you only have to give one account to God, I have to give two. Because, see, I not only have to give an account for my own life, I have to give an account for 26 years of leading New Spring Church. All the decisions that are made, everything we do, the directions that we take, It's not a board that has to give that account. It's not a staff that has to give that account. I'm accountable. And so I begin to ask myself the question, if it's my time to cross over and I have to give an accounting to God, not only for my life, but how I've led this church, how am I going to fare? And I don't know what you're like, but I'm a performance-driven person. If I experience any kind of success, that just instantly becomes a new threshold. I don't celebrate anything. It's just me. Mary Alice will say, Mark, you give grace to everybody but yourself. As I begin to analyze my life and look back on my life as a believer and my life as a leader, I I opened up my life to God and I said, God, what do you see? And and, and here's the thing, and and this is a complicated thing and and I don't wanna spend too long here, but I just kinda want you to help, help, help you understand where I was. You know, there are times when God can point something out in our life that needs to be corrected, but if we've got a hypercritical attitude toward ourselves and if we open the door to Satan, he can take that, instruction, that corrective instruction that God is giving us and he can turn around and use it like a whip to beat us. And when I opened up my heart to God and said, God, am, am I okay? God said, well, there's something you need to deal with. He didn't talk out loud to me, but it was pretty clear to me. God pointed out that I didn't have the love for him that I needed to have. See, I've been a pastor since I was 20 years old. And the workload is always there. And I, oftentimes what God showed me is I had done it because it was my responsibility. I, well, the thing, and I love my job. I mean, I'm addicted to my job but I was doing the things that I did because they were just my responsibility to do The, the, the task was before me, and I did it. And what God was showing me is that there, there, were, there were times when I needed to just enjoy doing what I did because I loved him. But therein lay a lot of issues because I began to look back on my life and think, well, if it's my time to cross over and I haven't loved God like I need to love God, How do I know that anything that I've done has really been of God, and what if I don't get a chance to go back and do it right? And the more I thought about that, the deeper I sunk. It was on the lowest night of that whole experience, and I've shared some of this with you from last January when I came home, but... On the lowest night, I found myself, it was 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, sometime about that, I couldn't sleep, and I was in my, I have a cedar closet in my basement. It's got a carpeted floor. And, and I was crying out to God. And I wasn't on my knees. I was lying on my face. I could still feel the fibers of the carpet in my face. I think David, King David, had a similar moment in his life because he wrote in one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27, my heart, has heard you say, Come and talk to me. Have you ever had that experience? Some of you have heard a minister say, Go talk to God. Others of you have been taught to pray and your experience has told you to pray. Some of you have read the Bible and the Bible has told you to pray. But my, my, my question is Have you ever reached a point in your life where your heart has heard God say, Come talk to me? I mean, this is not normal. This is not just throw up a little prayer because you're a religious person. This is like, I've got to get an answer from God. David said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. And David said, and my heart says, Lord, I'm coming. And I laid there on on the basement closet floor in my basement, my face in the carpet, and I said, God, I'm not getting up until I get a word from you. You should know I'm not a hyper-spiritual person. I don't do that as often as I should, I guess. Usually when somebody tells me God told, told them something, I run from them. They freak me out. And God didn't say anything out loud. I want you to know that. I'm just lying on my face, and I'm looking down, and I'm saying, God, I'm not getting up till I, till I hear from you. And the reason why I know I did hear from God was he took me in a totally different direction than where I was, where I was headed. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody else like me. I, I'm, a type a per, I'm a type AAA personality. There are no pastels in my personality. I'm very competitive. I'm very driven. And, 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 and what was going on in my life, see, here's the deal. My issue with God was that I was focused on my past. I was focused on my track record. I mean, it was, I, I thought about this. It, it was as if I had filed past endless caskets and stared at the cold, dead faces of missed opportunities. I thought about how many times did God just put the opportunity out there hanging on over the plate, and I took the easy way out. How, how many times did I, I misfire on a decision? I walked through the junkyard of decisions I'd like to have over again. And I was focused on what had happened in my life and the failures and many myriad ways in which I'd failed God. And I, I don't know what, how you are, but what, when I said, God, I want to hear a word from you, I was like, God, I want to know what my grade is. Is it a C minus? Is it a D Is it an F? I'm saying, God, I want to hear from you. Tell me what my grade is. And instead of that, I only got three words from God, and they were totally, they totally took me in a different direction. And here were the three words. God just said, turn to me. While still lying there in the carpet, I thought about three things. I thought well if god is telling me to turn to him number one i've got to be turned in the wrong direction and i was i I was looking the wrong way you can't be you know god wouldn't say turn turn to me if i was looking at him i I was looking away from god a a lot of you have been in church in your life and you've heard a, a word repent or you've you may not be religious and you've heard the term repent most of us think to repent means to feel sorry for sin. It may involve that, but that's not, that's a million miles away from what repent means. In the Greek language, repent is from two Greek words that are jammed together meta, M E T A, that's a prefix. We use that in our word metastasize or metabolic. Meta just means change. Noia, nous, that means thinking, it means change of thinking. Repentance is simply turning from the wrong way of thinking to the right way of thinking. And that that is what I realized at that moment that God was telling me to do. God was saying, Mark, you turned the wrong direction. The second thing that came to my mind was that this was about the future. See, I was locked into the past. I was looking at all the things that I felt, all the, all the areas where I felt like I'd failed God and all the ways I'd come up short and not measured up to being the leader he wanted me to be or not measuring up to being the man or the husband or the father that he wanted me to be. I, I was looking at the past and God was saying, my well, God, I don't want you focused on the past. Turn to me. This is about now. This is about the future. And the third thing that hit me was this was personal. God wasn't saying it. God wasn't saying turn to your faith. God wasn't saying turn to your religion. He surely wasn't saying turn to your job as a pastor of a megachurch. This was personal. God was saying, Mark, I want you to turn to me. Turn to me. Where do you turn when life falls apart? Some people turn to the bottle or to drugs to numb the pain. But the problem with doing that is it's only a temporary thing. And when it wears off, the problems are still there. And not only that, you've got a substance issue, and, and then you sometimes have the issue of the crazy stuff that you did while you were in the haze. A lot of us will say, well, Mark, I turned to the people in my life. I, I turned to my buds, I turned to my friends. But the issue with that is if you turn to the wrong people you could turn to someone who would take advantage of you anybody ever do that in an implosion moment you turn to somebody you think will help you and instead of helping you that person uses that moment to get something from you even if you turn to the best people in the world here's the one thing, this is so true if you've been here you know what I'm talking about if you have it just follow it away even the best people in the world the people who love you like they love themselves will not fully understand because what you're going through is so signature it's so different only you and god will really know what you're going through in fact there'll be times when it's so complicated it's hard to articulate it even when you talk to god and certainly even the people who love you the most are limited and they can't fix your world well you could be like me And i hate to admit this this isn't comfortable for me to talk about i'd much rather not go here in the sermon but let me just tell you unfortunately where i tend to turn at such moments i tend to turn inward and look at myself i don't know why this has been the case but all my adult life i've been the adult in the room even from the time i was 20 on whether it was leading a church or sitting on the board of directors of an organization. I mean, I remember being on the board of directors. I was the youngest member on the board of directors, and I can still remember like yesterday, going to a meeting, and all the older guys turning and looking at me and saying, Mark, what do we do? That's my experience. I have a warehouse of instincts. I have a warehouse of decision-making processes. And on top of that, I've got years of communicating the Bible and, and so it, it was just natural for me to say okay I'm going through a crisis I'm dealing with something I've never dealt with before look inside what do you find go to the warehouse and see what you can pull out well, what I discovered was when I looked inside I was creating more damage than was happening in my life to start out with do you see why God spoke to your pastor as he laid on his closet floor that night and said Mark Turn to me. Turning to God is a serious thing. It's not something that you do just on your way to Dylan's, you know, and fire off a prayer. Because I, I listen, I understood clearly what God was saying to me. I'd been praying for days. I'd been looking in the scriptures for days. I knew that when God said, Turn to me, it was a little more involved than that. Well, you know I hate religion. So whenever I look for answers, I, I look to the Bible. To me, the Bible is the word of God. If I was an attorney, I would cite scripture as, as, as case law or case precedent. So it, I, I got up off my face in my closet, walked over to my chair, picked up my Bible, because here is what I knew. I knew there were several places in the Bible where God specifically says, turn to me. And here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to read the context. In other words, I wanted to read the scriptures around there. The Bible is an easy book to understand, especially if you have an updated translation. You you just let the Bible interpret itself. Read what it says in context. It will always explain itself. A lot of stuff that gets messed up in religion happens because somebody takes, takes a line of the Bible and takes it out of context. There's an old story about a guy that believed that when you're going through a difficult time, you could just close the Bible, open it up, put your finger down, and whatever it said, that was God's word for you. So he did it put his finger down, and the verse he pointed to was Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) He thought that was a little bit inadequate, so he closed his Bible, opened it up, (laughs) put his finger down again, and said, whatsoever, oh, it says, go down and do likewise. (laughs) Didn't like that too much, closed the Bible, opened it up again, put his finger down, and said, whatsoever you do, do quickly. So um, when God said, turn to me, I, I knew there were some scriptures, and I wanted to look at those scriptures and see what God had to say. Four things, and we'll go home. Here's the first one. When you turn to God, you have turned to the only one who can truly help you. I want to give you four scripture texts, and each time I do, I want you to look at the words, turn to me. In Isaiah 45, 22, here's the first one I thought about. Turn to me. And be saved, all you the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none other. Okay, see the word saved there? If you're here today and, and you don't have a religious background, you probably have an easier time understanding this word than those of us who grew up in church. Because a lot of us who grew up in church, the moment we hear the word saved, we instantly think about eternal salvation. And that's a good thing. But it's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, turn to me god says and be delivered the actual hebrew word means to be in a wide place to be in a a a safe place and god is saying look if you want to if you want to be safe turn to me i love the second line all the ends of the earth you know what that means it means if you if you think you're the last person god would help go ahead and turn to him you could be here today and you say mark I don't even know if I believe in God or not. Would God help me? Hey, God says if you're the last person that thinks that He would help you, He will if you turn to Him. And let me go a step further. I think when any of us really looks closely at our own lives, we can feel like the last person God would help. You go through a time of self-analysis and you really take a hard look at what's going on in your life and your thoughts and your attitudes and you can wonder, can God really help me? I mean, some of us have prayed and asked God to forgive us for the same problem 700 times. fact of the matter is, (laughs) you know, if if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, everything they've ever done, everything they've ever thought, what they would do if they could get by with it, If you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, you'd get up and move. And if that person knew everything about you, he or she would get up and move. God is saying, look, hey, turn to me and and be saved. Even if you're the last person you think God would help, turn to me. Why? Because he said, I'm God and there's no other. See, that's the thing. God is introducing himself. He's saying, I am the one who has the power to do it. In the book of Psalms, David writes about God delivering him in poetic fashion. I just got to read this to you. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters he rescued me let me ask you a question you know anybody else who can part the heavens jump on the back of an angel fly through the thunderclouds and come to get you out of trouble I don't know anybody else who can do that that's why God said turn to me even if you think you're the last person I would help turn to me why because he said I'm God and there's nobody else who can do what I can do number two turning to God Usually means dealing with something that's not right in our lives by definition. See, here's the thing. If it was right, we wouldn't need to turn. Our focus is in the wrong place. And so turning to God means we're going to have to be honest about dealing with something that's not right. Now, guys, I was born at night, but not last night. And I know this is postmodern America, and it's 2011, and there, there are some of us who are going to listen to this message and say, look, Mark, if turning to God means asking God for help and it's kind of like rubbing the lamp and God appears and does whatever I ask him to do, if turning to God, if that's what it means, I'm cool with that, but please don't try to tell me something could be wrong with my life because I don't like that. Well, honestly, I'm not comfortable doing it either, but I want to read you a verse that shows you the accountability that I'm under, okay? I want you to know where I'm coming from. In the book of Ezekiel, there were ministers who were telling people only what they wanted to hear, and they weren't confronting them with stuff that could be wrong in their lives. And God is talking specifically here to the, to the ministers. I want you to listen to what he says. He said, because you've confounded and confused good people, unsuspecting and innocent people with your lies, and because you've made it easy for others to persist in evil so that it wouldn't even dawn on them to turn to me, so I could save them. As of now, God says, like Donald Trump, you're fired. No more, dem- no more delusion mongering from you. No more sermonic lies. I'm going to rescue my people from your clutches, and you'll realize that I'm God. So do you see the pressure I'm under? God is saying, look, if I call you to give a message to my people, and you don't confront them with the issues that are in their lives, and it never even dawns on them to turn to me so that I could rescue them, God is saying you'll be in trouble and even though I don't necessarily want to talk about what might be wrong in your life and my life today that's see turning to God is serious here's the point God sometimes uses trouble as a wake-up call he did in my life it doesn't say that God causes the trouble hey you're gonna have trouble Whether you're the closest Christ follower here or you're the most rock ribbed atheist, it doesn't matter. You're going to have trouble in life. This is a broken world. But God sometimes uses trouble as a wake-up call. He leverages difficulties and troubles in our life. Why? So that our hearts will hear what we talked about at the beginning. Our hearts will hear, come and talk to me. When I was thinking about verses in the Bible that had the expression, turn to me, I thought about Hosea 5.15. God said, I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. I hear it. Somebody's saying, I knew what to expect. If I, I mean, that's religion for you. It's all about guilt. And I saw that word there. God says, I will return to my place until they admit their guilt. Well, think with me for a moment. What is it that God is wanting you to do with guilt? Is he trying to leverage the guilt to make you feel bad? Is that what he's saying here? It's not what I read. See, when I read this verse, I don't read anything about God making you pay for the things that you've done wrong. But what God does want us to do is he wants us to get it. See, all he wants us to do is to admit our issues. That's what was going on in my life. I had an absence of love for God. I was doing what I did out of a sense of duty and performance. But God wasn't wanting me to pay for what I'd done wrong. He was wanting me to get it. A lot of you are parents here today. You know, the Bible says that God's relationship to us as a parent. And the Bible says, as, as, this is Psalm 103, as parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He keeps in mind we're made of mud. Well, parents, let me ask you a question. When your kids do wrong, do you want to punish them? I mean, it's like, okay, my kid did wrong. This is my chance. Some of you may feel like that's how your parents feel. No. I have three sons. I never wanted to punish any of them. What I wanted was I wanted them to get it. I I, I shouldn't be this personal. My son, Stephen, is here. He's my youngest. Stephen is the kid I wish I'd been when I was growing up. I mean, Stephen has this sort of self-corrective thing. Every once in a while, you know, he'll get just a little bit out of sync. And and without me saying anything, most of the time he'll come to me and say, Dad, you know, I was just a little... I was a little bit out of sync there, and, 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 and I get it. I love that. He's just coming to me saying, hey, you know, I was on the wrong page for a while, but I, I've got it now. And, and I know that. That's what we want from our kids. We just want them to get it, and that's what God is wanting from you. You say, Mark, but I failed so much. God just wants you to get it, to get that you're on the wrong road, so that you will turn to him. Andy. See, here's the thing. God, God is just saying in Hosea 5.15, uh, I'll return to my place until they admit their guilt. In effect, he's saying, I'll just step out of the room for a little while. <laughs> That's what it felt like in my life. I had felt the protection. I had felt the hedge around me. Everything I had touched had worked. And all of a sudden, it was as if <laughs> God had just left the room for a little while. And no, he really hadn't. But that's the feeling that i had and god is saying that's what i'll do i'll just step out of the room until he gets it until she gets it turning to god usually means there's an issue in our lives that needs to be resolved let me take that a step further number three turning to god means returning to complete authenticity in revelation chapter 3 let me read you one more verse in the bible one more text where the bible says turn to me Jesus is talking to the church at Sardis. I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, repent, and turn to me again. What was the problem with the church at Sardis? That's well, the same problem you and I have. Isn't it true that there is something of a gap between what people think we are and what we really are? It's true in my life. It's true in yours. As I said a few moments ago, if everyone knew everything about you, they'd get up and move. There, there's a gap between your reputation and what you really are, and, and, and some of that is, is understandable. I mean, we don't necessarily hang our dirty laundry on the line unless you're me and you tell your faults on television. I don't think that's necessarily an unhealthy thing until we begin to accept it. Until we begin to pour more energy into the facade than in the real person. And that was the issue at the church of Sardis. They had become comfortable with the fact that they had a reputation that their life would not sustain. And Jesus was saying, look, you're not dealing with people, you're dealing with me. Interestingly and we'll develop this someday he said fan the flame of those things that are real in your life Go back to what you believe go back to what you know for sure in effect. Jesus was calling them to authenticity Well, I've got three minutes to give you the fourth one When God told me to turn to him that night I Saved this text for the last Because I knew it was the sweetest And I wanted to read the tough ones before I read this one. In fact, I knew this is where the Lord was leading me. I love Joel too so much. Because it's in Joel chapter 2 where the Lord says, Turn to me, but he adds a word Turn to me now. I don't know of any place in the Bible where God says, Turn to me tomorrow. And I go there because I know how some of us are. We're hearing this talk today and we're saying, okay, there's some stuff in my life that's not like it should be, but I'm pretty comfortable with it right now. And after all, I'm not hitting the wall like Mark. And so I'll just deal with this down the road somewhere. I've got a relationship in my life. It's not healthy. I know it's not healthy, but it's not convenient for me to deal with it right now. So I'll I'll turn to God down the road. (laughs) There's a story in the Bible about Moses and Pharaoh. God came to Moses and said, go tell Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader, to let my people go. Well, well, Pharaoh was not excited about letting his slave labor force leave the country. So Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't know your God. So God decided to introduce himself to Pharaoh. Made him 10 offers he couldn't refuse. One of them was frogs. Each one of the plagues had to do with the God that the Egyptians worshipped. Because God was wanting to show Pharaoh that he was the true God. They love frogs, you know, they worship frogs, so God just sent them frogs everywhere. And, and frogs were outside, and, the, and, and it's really graphic how the Bible describes it. The frogs were inside the house. I mean, the poor Egyptians, they could stick their fork in a deal pickle and it'd hop away. <laughs> so, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was learning who God was. He called Moses and said, hey, Moses, would you talk to your God and ask him to get rid of these frogs? And Moses said, sure. When would you like for me to ask him? Pharaoh said, tomorrow. you know, there's no place in the Bible where God says, turn to me tomorrow. My son Jared and his awesome wife Jessica are both paramedics. Jared has talked to me several times about the golden hour. The golden hour is a window of opportunity when someone is in trouble physically, where if they, can get a, if they can get emergency help, if they can get medical attention during that golden hour, they have a higher likelihood of surviving. If somehow that golden hour is not observed, that person could die. See, and I'm going to give away my age here. When I was a real little kid, we didn't have paramedics. Ambulances were just a way of transporting hurt people to the hospital. No, no one really helped them in the ambulance. In fact, the ambulances were usually run by funeral homes. I used to be curious about that, and wonder if there wasn't a certain conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> Further giving away my age, let me find out where my baby boomers are. When I was a teenager, there was a show that hit the airwaves called Emergency man emergency was the story of two paramedics and for the first time the United States got introduced to the importance of paramedics of taking healthcare professionals putting them in the field so that they could go out and in the golden hour they could help people who were in trouble God is saying turn to me in the golden hour let me read it to you turn to me now while there's time in other words, we can wait to turn to God to a point where we, we walk past our door of opportunity. But that, that door is still open today because you're here and you're listening and God is talking to you. And God is saying, Turn to me now while there's time. Well, who was he talking to? Was God talking to a bunch of pagans? Was he talking to people that didn't worship the true God? Was he talking to atheists? No, he was talking to people like you and me. If you're Christ's follower. These were people who went to worship and they gave their money. And they they went through the motions of worship. In fact, they had days where they were called to repentance, and the Jews, as a sign of repentance, would tear their clothing to show their openness and their willingness to be broken before God. They gave money, they tore their clothes, but God was saying, wait a minute, we have a problem here. Turn to me now. You need to turn to me. And look at this. He said, give me your hearts. He's not saying give me your money. He's saying give me your hearts. Well, let's be real about that for a moment because clearly God's not asking for the pump inside your chest. What's he talking about? This has been a day where I've been pretty transparent, so I may as well go ahead and tell you this. After years of being married, I've developed a way to sit and listen to Mary Alice. (laughs) Nod and smile and show interest. But Mary Alice is very, very smart. And I'm saying they're going, you know. Yes, and I've had her look at me and say, "Mark, I'd like your attention, please." (laughs) Do you realize that's what God is saying to you? He's saying, "Look, it's it's this isn't about giving me your money. This is about giving me your attention." See, a lot of us, we don't really give God our attention. Our attention's on technology, our attention's on work, our attention's on entertainment or sports or whatever. We'll just come by and give God a little kiss every once in a while. God is saying, no, you don't get it. This is serious. Turning to me means give me your attention. Like Mary Ellen says, Mark, I'd like to have your attention, please. This is God saying to you, I would like to have your attention, please. I'd like to have all of your attention. Give me your heart. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Verse 13, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. God is saying, look, I I want to talk to the real you. I'd like for you to be broken about the stuff that's not right in your life. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he's got a cosmic hammer up in heaven and he's just waiting to hit you with it? No. Return to the Lord your God because he's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and I love this, filled. This expression is throughout the Old Testament. I love it every time I read it. Filled with unfailing love why is that so big to me every person in this room knows what it's like to have someone's love fail a friend that just decides he doesn't love you anymore she doesn't love you anymore some of you know what it's like to hear it from a lover or a spouse to hear the person you thought would be with you for the rest of your life say i don't love you anymore some of you've heard it from an angry kid who looked at you as a parent and said i don't love you anymore and tragically i've heard children who've said their parents have looked at them and said, I don't love you anymore. Do you realize that God will never say that to you? God is saying, come back to me. Turn to me. Let me have your heart. Let me have your attention. Why? Because God says, I'm filled with compassion. I'm filled with unfailing love. And and let me give you one of, and I thought about this in the last service. I really think this is probably my favorite line in Scripture. He is eager to relent and not punish. Do we get that today? A lot of us have grown up in traditional church, and then our idea is that God is eager to send us to hell, and He's just looking for a reason, He's just looking for an excuse. He's eager to bring judgment in our lives. But the Bible says God is eager to relent. Think about that for a moment. What that means is that God could get to a place where he looks at Mark's life and says, you know what, he's just not getting it. And I'm going to have to turn up the heat. I'm going to have to let him have some problems in his life. I'm going to have to bring some chastening, some judgment in his life until he gets it. And, and, and just sort of imagine, if you will, that that judgment is leaving the hand of God and is headed right for me when all of a sudden I, I turn to where God, and God says, wait a minute. I think he gets it. Pull it back. That's your God. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing. That means a good future instead of this bad situation you're in right now. And oh, i tell you, that night when I read this, it just fell on me like a gentle rain on parched earth. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord if your God is before In other words, maybe I'll put your life back where it was. Well, I feel great now, and all the symptoms have disappeared. And God has pretty much done exactly what that verse says. So you could say, Mark, what did you learn? I'll we'll come back for the next five weeks and I'll tell you. <laughs> That's true. But, but let me tell you what I learned about turning to God. I learned it works. Now, in the essence of full disclosure, let me tell you something. I'm not telling you that instantly God made my world turn around, but I'll tell you what I, what I did feel. It, it was as if God had slipped his hand in my hand and said, okay, I'm going to take you on a journey. And he did for several weeks as he began to work in my life. And the person who came home from that journey is not the same person who left. And that's what God wants so many of you to hear today. And that's why I gave you what's a very uncomfortable talk for me. Because for God to show me something and for me not to share it with you because I just wanna come off looking like I have it all together, would be a travesty. Turn to me. It could be that you're saying, Mark, I can't turn to God because I don't have a relationship with him. (laughs) You have no idea how much he wants to have a relationship with you. Have you ever thought about something Have you ever thought about the fact the universal sign for emergency care or medical care in the Western world is a cross? You want to have a relationship with God. God's not asking you to give money, He's not asking you to join a church. We talked about baptism, but that won't get you a relationship with God, which tall water can't wash away any sin. It's the cross. Jesus Christ, God's son, hung on a cross, and the blood that flowed out of his body was a currency that can wash your sins away and pay for every sin you've ever committed. Believe, believe, believe. That's what the Bible says over and over. That's all God's asking for you. See, God just wants us to get it, see. We we think he wants us to pay. He wants us to get it. Believe that Jesus died in your place. Believe that God raised him from the dead because a dead person can't help you. It's a living Savior who can change you. It's a living Savior who can transform your life. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he rose from the grave. Commit your life for him. Turn from your old way of thinking and turn to Christ and say, Lord, I can't help myself. I invite you to be my Savior. That's what the Bible says it's a gift, G-I-F-T, gift. A lot, of, a lot of you have the idea from religion that God sort of gets you started, then you've got to do the rest of it. Hey, if somebody said they were going to give you a free car and all they made was a down payment, that's not a gift. A gift is free. And that's what i read in the bible god wants to have a relationship with you so much that he put his son on the cross so that if you would invite him into your life he'll wash your sins away adopt you into his family and give you the promise of heaven and everlasting life would you turn to him today would you turn to him you say mark i'm not sure how well you just ask him and i'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to pray a prayer with you these aren't magic words i know we're seriously into overtime and i'm so sorry about that But this is just such an important moment. If you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I want a relationship with God, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'll pray it slowly because the important thing is what you mean, not what you say. God's just looking for a big yes. You ready for this? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe the blood you shed was currency that paid for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. And I turn from my old way of life, and I receive you as my Savior and King, in Jesus' name.